So this morning, uh, as we begin our season of Advent, which is the season of, of hoping and, and waiting on the birth of Jesus and the celebration that comes with that, we're also closing out our second month of the Provoke Life campaign. And in this month, we've been talking about the second beatitude of Jesus, and let's, let's read it together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we mourn and when we make space for those who mourn, the comforting presence of Jesus breaks in to our lives and through our lives, and it changes lives for the better. That's why I think when Jesus gave this beatitude, he was saying that when we grieve, we grieve for Christ's sake. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about grief over death. We've talked about grief over our sin, over the the sin, the brokenness of, of the world. We've defined grief as the heaviness or burden we can feel as a result of the state of our lives and the world. And we even talked about grief over just change, when, when the world changes, when our lives change, and the grief that, that comes from that. We make space for grief. We're honest about grief. We, we move through grief, but how do we move on from grief? Well, I believe that there is more to be done to attend to the grief that we feel and the grief that is around us. I do not believe we are to be defined by grief. I do believe that God intends for the wounds of grief to heal. And while the scar may remain as a reminder of the source of that grief, that the psalmist writes in Psalm 30, weeping may stay all night, but in the morning there's joy. And so what is it in the midst of of, of grief and and of a grieving world that allows us to tap in to that joy? It's not as though we can wait for one to cease before the other begins. It's not as though we wait for to wake up one morning and all of a sudden not feel grief so that joy can begin. That's not really how emotions work. We tap into the joy of of Jesus with the thrill of hope. So I want you to think about how you feel when you're told something is about to happen, something could happen, but isn't just isn't going to happen just yet. It's like when a when a husband and a wife find out they're having a baby. Or when you put an offer down on a house and, and that offer's been accepted, but then you got to go through all the stuff that happens before you close. When you accept an offer for a new job and you're going to start in, a, in the coming weeks. Or when you're only a, a year or two away from retirement. It, it's thrilling, right? It's exciting, but it's also frustrating because you have to wait a little bit. I remember when I was going through the call process almost six years ago now, uh, I guess it is now six years, here at King of Kings, and, and going through the interviews and, and, and visiting here and talking with the Synod and, and the, the call committee, and the closer it got to, to the call vote, the more thrilling it was. And then when, when I found out that the vote was 
almost unanimously yes. And yes, I still want to know who those two votes were. Just kidding. I don't really want to know. I was thrilled. And I wanted to get started. But there was this in-between time between the thrill of hope and the culmination of that hope. We begin the season of Advent today as the church remembers the time leading up to the birth of Christ. And I'm reminded of the line from probably my favorite Christmas carol, the only Christmas carol I'm okay with before Thanksgiving, okay? It's just this only one. It's O Holy Night, and there's this line that best describes this in-between time. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. For those who celebrated the birth of Christ in his day, for those who came to follow him, his birth into a world that was weary with grief was like the beginning of a new and glorious day. What God's people had hoped for over the centuries had arrived in Christ. As we remember this season and and the hope that was birthed in them, it births vicariously within us a hope. That the weariness we feel over the grief we carry, whether it's the grief of loss, the grief of sin, the grief of change, that there is hope. That we too will be comforted even as we exist in the in-between time. Now, when Jesus announced that what the people of God had hoped for had arrived in him, many of them missed it because they believed that the answer to their grief was a specific type of person who they called the Messiah, who was a military leader and a a priestly king who would throw off the yoke of Roman oppression and make Israel great again. That's who they were looking for. But the hope that had arrived in Jesus wasn't just in his personhood. It was in the kingdom that he had come to bring. His presence on earth, his death and resurrection were merely the beginning of an unfolding plan of God's rescue of humanity from death and sin and suffering and chaos. And the culmination of that rescue plan is what we read about in Revelation 21 today. Revelation is probably the most misunderstood book of the whole Bible. It's, it's one of the most avoided books of the Bible by preachers. It's, one of the, it's probably the least read book in, in all of Scripture by, by individual Christians. And yet it offers an image-rich delineation of what God intends to do to rescue humanity. What it is that you and I can hold on to hope for in the midst of grief. And it is thrilling. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation while exiled on an island for, for being a leader in the church and a disciple of Jesus, he says this 
in verse, verse 1 of chapter 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. For all the, the beauty that exists in creation that we see today, and there is a lot of beauty, there's also a great deal of brokenness. Evidence of humanity's fallenness. War zones and ecological catastrophes, extreme weather brought on by climate change. And, and, and John writes that all of that will be wiped away in the new creation that God promises. And then there's this interesting line. He says, the sea was no more. And, and you know, the ocean and lakes and bodies of water are, are some of my favorite places to go. But the image that, that's being conjured up is not of, of this beautiful, peaceful Scenic water that disappears. The, the sea was used in the book of Revelation as an image of chaos. In the book of Revelation, the sea was the place where evil would dwell. And as evil would emerge, chaos would be brought into creation. And so when John says that the sea will be no more, it's a statement that evil, both acts of individuals and also the construction of systems that do evil, all of that gets replaced in the new heaven and the new earth. He says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. To John's readers, Jerusalem was, was more than just a place on a map. It was an ideal it stood in opposition to, to Babylon and to Rome and to all empires that are built on power and ambition, the, those empires that would act in their own interest regardless of who was harmed. Jerusalem stood apart as a city on a hill against all that. Where the love of God for humanity would be consummated as God's presence would be forever amongst God's most precious creation. John goes on to recite his experience with this vision. In verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. And then in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God, John's words reinforce and expand the kind of holy city that would come in the new heaven and the new earth. That just as Jesus left the comforting presence of the Trinity to join humanity on earth. In the end, God will join humanity in the new creation. There will no longer be this distance anymore. No longer will we ask, where is God? In the brokenness and in the, in the grief, God will be right there with us and there will be no grief because there will be no death or sin or change that leads to loss. John writes in verse 5, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. 
Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Once the, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem where, where God is with us, where God wipes away all the tears, where, where death is no more, where there's nothing left to grieve, God will have accomplished everything that God set out to do. Beginning with the birth of Jesus into the world, the rescue plan for humanity will be mission accomplished. When we live through grief and in the direction of this hope, God says that we will emerge victorious as we hold on to that hope. Verse 7, those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my sons and daughters. How does it feel to know that everything broken about our lives and our world will be healed and restored because of what Jesus has done? How does it feel to know that there will be a day when you will never have to ask where God is, what God is doing, what you are called to do? How does it feel to know that whatever you are grieving and whatever grief you are helping others carry will find resolution in the comforting and eternal presence of God? How does it feel to know that whatever you thirst for, that thirst will be quenched. I think it feels awesome. I think it feels amazing. That feeling, that's the thrill of hope. That is how we move on from grief. We tap into the joy of Jesus with the thrill of hope. And out of that hope, we take action. Not that we have the capacity to create the world that God described, but we do have a, play, a, a role to play in co-creating with God this reality. Each and every person in this room and watching online has a role to play in this unfolding rescue mission that God has in sharing the love and the hope and the peace and the joy that we celebrate in the season of Advent, not just feeling it for ourselves, but extending it beyond the walls of a church, beyond the walls of our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our networks of relationships. Because yes, things are tough right now. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are burdens that we carry, but we have a hope that there will be a day when God brings into culmination the thrill of the hope that we have. And so whatever in-between time you find yourself in, 
between what you've been told will happen or, or what could happen and the culmination of that vision. Whatever in-between time you're in, whatever in-between time we are in together, know that there is a promise and there is a process. There's something that God said God would do and there's a way in which God will bring it about and it doesn't always, it often doesn't look like how we would do it. But thank God, when I, because when I try to take over God's role in my life, I usually find ways to make it worse. There's a promise and there's a process. God in Christ has promised to make all things new. And the process, and in the process of doing just that, is happening all around us. It's happening in your life. It's happening through your life, and it's happening in the world. Let that thrill of hope bring a comforting presence and make you a comforting presence in a grieving world.